You'll come down with kids. You're welcome to come down. We missed a few kids tonight. I know we got some folks that are out of town. 
But that's how it goes. We're still going to do what we do normally, okay? So, books of the Bible, are you ready? Listen, why don't we everybody join in? That way we can hear some basses. Doesn't Leviticus sound good in bass? Let's try it. One, two, three. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth.
right. What is the verse that we can sing that proves that proves God made everything? Proverbs what? Three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps to the Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. Seed of the kingdom is the word of God. In Luke 8, verse 11. We're going to learn a song about that, all right? So this is the kind of song you'll uh, have you go sleep tonight thinking about, right? And your parents will too. The seed of the kingdom is the word of God. Seed of the kingdom is the word of God. Seed of the kingdom is the word of God. Luke 8, verse 11. Again, seed of the kingdom is the word of God. Seed of the kingdom is the word of God. See, in the kingdom is the word of God. Luke 8, verse 11. Good. All right. Uh, oh. This is how we worship God. This is how we worship God. According to his word. Lord's Supper. We protect the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. We protect the Lord's Supper. Remembering his death. What? Pray. We pray to the Lord our God, Lord our God, Lord our God. We pray to the Lord our God in Jesus' name. Sing. We sing praises to our God, to our God, to our God. We sing praises to our God, singing in our hearts. Give money to who? Good. We give our money to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. We give our money to the Lord. According to his word, we preach. Preach. We listen to the word of God, word of God, word of God. We listen to the word of God and increase in faith. How many others do we have here? Five. 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 Five.
Vacations are going on, but always tell them if you miss them, tell them that you missed them, all right? All right, it's time for us to go ahead and uh, begin tonight. Uh, uh, of course, if you did not partake of the Lord's Supper or weren't able to this morning, as we go to class, you can uh, be dismissed to the little chapel. Remember, we have uh, a couple of classes going on at the same time. We have the class in here uh, taught by Brother Ken on Judges and Ruth. We also have the class in the Annex on uh, denominational teachings and all that. So uh, if either of those classes interest you, we would love for you to be a part of that. And again, we want to thank you for being here tonight. We've got guests here tonight, and it's always a, a tremendous honor to be able to welcome our guest. And hopefully you'll hang around just a little bit after we're dismissed and uh, give us a chance to get to know you. So before we go to class tonight, let's bow in prayer. Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the day. We're mindful that everything that's good in life comes from you, and uh, we glorify and magnify your name because of uh, the great God that you are. Father, we're mindful of many that we know of that are sick tonight, uh, many uh, that we're thinking about. We pray that you would bless each of those. You know their needs, and uh, we pray that you would be with the doctors that will be attending the needs of those who are sick. And we pray, Father, that they can be restored to a portion of their health. We also pray, Father, for those who've lost loved ones. And we pray that uh, you can ease their burden and their grief, Father. We pray your hand of healing and comfort would be upon them. Uh, most of all, Father, we are thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross for our sins. And it's in his name that we pray these things, Father. Amen. All right, y'all go quietly.
when we get when we get we get to our study portion, you should go ahead and have your Bible open there. I'm going to be projecting through uh, the device, the scriptures. So I, I encourage you to read from your own Bible. I think you need to be familiar with your book, uh, but if you don't have that handy, um, you can just follow along with me. Before we start that, though, I'd like to go over the list of sick that I have. And if you have somebody you want to mention, we'll put them on the list. And we'll be praying for them. Well, can you wait until the end, or and and then I'll ask, and if you'll tell me, I'll put them on there. Okay, that way I can type them in in the right place. Okay, so here are the folks that um, I have that we're praying for: Irene Baker, uh, she has terminal cancer. Uh, Martha Eaton had foot surgery on June the sixth. She's in a lot of pain, and we're just praying for good progress for her. Uh, there, uh, her and um, sister Norma also has an infection. Had to have a tooth extraction. Uh, how'd that go? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll just take. Austin Wentz has been having several pretty major chemo treatments, so praying he's uh, accepting of those and he's going to uh, have good recovery. Uh, Terry Green was to have one more chemo treatment. Uh, has he had that yet? Anybody know? Anyway, we're keeping him on our prayer list, and uh, the hope is that chemo treatment is going to reduce the size of a tumor that he has, and then they'll be able to get that out with surgery. Verlin Davis has Alzheimer's. Ann Stevens has several health problems. Marilyn Wilson's recovering from back surgery. Uh, my mother-in-law got her second biopsy back. It was negative. So their plan is just to leave it alone and check it every three months. And hopefully, hopefully it'll be fine. So please remember Ruth in your prayers. Kim Fowler, she's walking around here, looks good, but still has the boot on her foot. So we're praying full recovery for her. Uh, Don, Don Dawson uh, has several health issues. Johnny Howe has cancer. Uh, Connie Mooney is uh, in outpatient therapy now, recovering from her hip replacement. Sue James has cancer. That's Rick Warner's friend. Gary Thornton's undergoing cancer treatment. Saul Quitman at the devotional today looks good, feeling more himself, so we're very, very glad about that. Uh, Geraldine Taylor has cancer. She's also at Landmark, and um, Chopper says she's just getting along okay, um, but um, please just remember her. Uh, Stephen Hodgins' dad, Kenneth, had a treatment for his back this past week, so we're praying that's going to be a success, and actually... Um, Stephen had an aunt that passed away, and he was at that funeral today. That's why he left early um, during services this morning. Pat Ritchie has pancreatic cancer. Tommy, still taking treatments? You're finished. Yay! So we're glad for that and pray that this, this latest round will be the, the last of the treatments he has to take. He'll respond well. Uh, Randy Stutz is running around here somewhere. Uh, he's doing better. 
Madonna Cook seems to be doing great. She was here this morning. Um, Diane, she's here. She's well. I'm going to take you off this list. I will do that. We will no longer pray for you. No. <laughs> yes, we're glad that you're so much better. Uh, Bernice Boyles, Emily's grandmother, and several of you are related to her. She's going to be 100 this week, June the 21st. So send her a card. It goes to Mississippi Care in Corinth. Janet, still have... Let me take her off. No more prayers for you. Okay. How's Marley doing? Okay, we're going to keep her on the list. Okay. Uh, Juanice, how's Juanice? Better? Okay. Uh, Stan Pounds was here today. He's right there now. So, Stan, I'm going to take you off this list. Look out. Is that good? Yeah. This list is just getting shorter all the time. Uh, anybody know about an update for Michael Smith? Okay. Okay. Uh, hands, how's Anne? Uh, Johnny Boswell, anybody have an update about Johnny? Kidney failure? I mentioned Stephen Hodgins' aunt. Um, Janice is here. Janice has been having some health problems. You've been missing her. Uh, but she's got her blood pressure regulated, so feeling a lot better, right? Okay. Um, Jenny Adams' grandson... Rowan Baker, seven-year-old, in the hospital in Florida. He's having some serious health problems. Uh, underwent some surgery. It's probably going to be some more surgery. So just remember that family. And Margaret Ann's brother, Ronnie, he actually went into the hospital with fluid around his heart. And then he fell and injured his head. And that has resulted in some pretty serious consequences. Uh, his birthday was today. Uh, he's been preaching a long time, 70 years. Uh, just We want to remember Ronnie and his wife Polly in our prayers. Okay. Sue. Say that first Anybody else? Who?
That's my list. Kids, it can, what about it? What happened? Okay. It's going to be hot this week. All right. All right, let's, let's sing a song, and then we will have our prayer together. 528. <clears throat> 528. We'll sing the first verse. And then we'll have our prayer. I know that my Redeemer is a better race for me. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessings of this day that were numerous and all of us experienced so many good things. And even in the, the difficulties, we see your hand and we give you honor and glory for that. We pray, Father, that you will bless those people that we know of who are sick. And there are so many. But Father, we're serious in our concern about them and we're just praying for recovery many. We ask your continued blessings and comfort on Irene Baker and just give her good days and profitable, encouraging, meaningful days with her family. We pray for Martha Eaton that she will continue to progress and that her foot will, will completely heal. We pray for uh, her and Joan's sister Norma as she's had some difficulties with a tooth extraction. We pray that her body will receive the antibiotics and that she can get well. Bless Austin Wentz in the treatments that he's undergoing and give his body endurance. We pray for Terry Green that his treatments are going to be a success and that the surgery that's coming will be able to get the results everybody's hoping for. Bless Verlin Davis and her caregivers. Bless Ann Stevens in her health problems. Bless Marilyn Wilson in recovery. We're thankful, Father, that Ruth Staley got a, a good report, and we just pray, Lord, that the continued treatment and, and observation will be nothing, and that she'll just get better and better. We pray for Kim Fowler and her recovery. She'll have a good use for foot again. Please be with Don and his health issues. For Johnny Howe, who has cancer, we pray for Connie Mooney, that her therapy will be a success and that she'll be able to walk freely again. We pray for Sue James, who has cancer. Bless Gary Thornton and his treatments for cancer. We ask your blessings continually on Quitman, and we pray, as has been the trend over the last week, that 
He'll just get better and better. And we just pray for clarity and, and stability in his movements. Bless Geraldine Taylor and her family. Just give them encouragement and good days. We pray for Stephen Hodgins' dad that his treatment's a success. And we also pray for Stephen's family as they grieve uh, the loss of his aunt. We pray for Pat Ritchie, who has pancreatic cancer. We're thankful, Father, that Tommy's finished with his treatments. We pray they were a huge success and that his body is free of cancer. We pray for Randy Stutz and his recovery. And we pray that's going well and that it will continue to get better every day. We're thankful Madonna Cook's doing so much better, and we pray full recovery for her. Bless Bernice Voyles in her 100th year, and we just pray health for her and for good times with her family this week. We pray for Marley Warner, who's still under observation, and we just pray that she'll get good results. Be with Juanice Floyd. We pray she'll get better every day, and, and also we pray stability and just good health for her. Be with Michael Smith who's still in recovery from his accident. We're, uh, we're sad that he's lost function of his eye, but we pray that uh, the coming surgeries will be a success and, and promote his healing. We pray for Ann Newton, who's had the stroke, and we pray that she'll make some progress and be able to recover if it's your will. Pray for Johnny Boswell, who's experiencing kidney failure. Pray for... Janice, as she's been sick over the past month, and we're thankful she's better, well enough to be here, but we pray she'll have a full recovery and uh, find good regulation of her blood pressure. Be with Jenny Adams' grandson, Rowan, uh, as he's in the hospital. Know he's facing maybe some more surgery, and we pray it's all a success and that uh, his health will return. We pray for Margaret Ann's brother, Ronnie, and we we pray that those who are tending to him will do those things that will promote healing in him. Just encourage, encourage them. Be with Benjamin Yates, uh, who's in critical care. We, we pray that uh, whatever the situation is, that it can be made better. We pray for Mike Bruce, who's facing surgery, I think, tomorrow, or at least in the coming days. And we pray it's a success and that he'll be on the road to healing. We also pray for uh, our, our children and the counselors and all those who are working camp uh, this week and the coming weeks. Uh, it's difficulty, because, especially because the uh, excessive heat, and we just pray that you'll keep everybody safe, well hydrated, that they'll have good experience, even though it's difficult. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with us uh, tonight as we are studying your word together. Help us to learn some things that will build our faith and make us better in our service to you. Not taking anything for granted, but committed in a way that puts you first and ourselves last. And thank you for the blessing of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in Judges chapter 12, as I mentioned. We've been talking about Jephthah. Jephthah's most noteworthy thing, I guess, is the business of the vow and uh, what comes of that. But that's not the end of the story because you know, he is, he, despite what it cost him, 
He is the great conqueror of the Ammonites. And when you're able to do something outstanding like that, you know, despite the fact that they didn't want to help to begin with, now that you're victorious, what? Doesn't everybody like a winner? Doesn't everybody want to hang out with the winners? Want to be a part of it? And so some of that starts happening here in chapter 12. The men of Ephraim gathered together. Now, I want to stop right there. The people in Ephraim are on which side of the Jordan River? That's right. They're on the west side. Only Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And if, if you look at that map that you've got in the back of your Bible that shows those territories, Manasseh had a huge spread, but Ephraim, they're right there. They're brothers, right? Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, sons of Joseph. So Ephraim feels like, hey, you know, our brother's involved there, and we, we, we want, we want to kind of latch onto that situation. So Ephraim gathered together. They crossed over towards Ephon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and didn't call us to go with you? Well, burn your house down with fire. Ouch, right? Dissatisfied customer right here. Now, why would anybody want to go to battle? You notice this isn't the first time this has happened. When Gideon went to battle, he also had some folks come along later and said, Oh man, we're so upset, we missed out. And a lot of times there is the initial assault and then lots of people are invited. Why is it you wouldn't want to be uninvited? Why is it you don't want to miss some of this? Even if you catch the tail end of it. Okay, one might be we want to be a part of the victory song. But I think there's something a little bit more tied. Well, that's human nature, wanting the glory. But there's something else. Why else would you want to go? Get the spoils of war. When we win, what do we get? We get to stuff. Remember Gideon? Did Gideon rack up when he won? Man, remember he required the gold earrings that all of those Ishmaelites had given up to the Israelites. All the Israelite warriors got those earrings that those Ishmaelites like to wear. Well, everybody kind of had their pockets full. And Gideon says, yeah, that's fine, but every single one of you is going to give me one of those. So they had all this stuff. You know, Gideon goes on and he makes what? That, that idolatrous ephod out of some of the stuff. But what I'm saying is... People hear about your victory, and then they're like, man, if we'd have been invited, we'd have gotten some of the spoils too. So even if you weren't involved, you kind of want to come in at the end. If you can cause a little bit of trouble, maybe maybe they'll pitch in and try to appease your wrath. Well, I'm just going to tell you, Jephthah is the what? Remember, I didn't call him just the judge. He's the He's the thudge. Right, He's the thug judge. And he's not taking this off of anybody. So Jephthah responds this way. He says, my people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. 
Now, what he doesn't tell about that is, what did it cost him? It didn't have to, because God has already promised what? Victory. However, Jephthah, kind of in, maybe in tune with what most everybody else maybe expected him to do, especially the nation around him, he makes this great vow. He, he, it has cost him a lot. And so Jephthah, he is like, you know, you, you don't understand what it has cost me. So he said, when I, when I called you, you didn't deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my own hands. I crossed over against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? You want to burn down my house? I will remind you that when I got ready to cross over and fight that battle, that I asked you to help. And what did they say? Not today. Not today. So they're not going to come in here at the end and ask for a little bit of this. Is Jephthah a guy you're going to threaten? Going to burn my house down, are you? It kind of sounds like the mob, right? Going to burn my house down? Okay. Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead. Stop. Who are the men of Gilead again? Transjordan. Gilead's generally the name of those three tribal areas, Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh. Gilead on the one side, Ephraim's over here. Ephraim's going to burn the house down. So Jephthah gathered them all together against Ephraim. Wait, stop. What's the problem with this? Already in my mind. Who's Ephraim? They're a tribe of... Israel, so is Gad, so is Manasseh, so is Reuben. Any, anything seem off about that? These are our brethren, right? These are our people. But you're not going to mess with me that way. And so the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim, their own brother, because they said, you Gileadites are, are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. You Gileadites, you refugees, you fugitives, you're over there on the other side. They're effectively saying you are what? Do we need to do some jumping jacks? Do we? You're, you're none of us, right? You're not, you, you, guys are on the, you guys are on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. That's a river. But you're on the other side of the tracks, right? We, 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 don't, know, we don't know you. So they're kind of legitimizing this, this thing. They're insulting them. The Gileadites, they seized the Fords. Stop right there. What are, what are the Fords? Now, this is before automobiles, for those of you. Okay. It's the crossing. A Ford is the crossing. It's, it's shallow enough that you could cross over. So you get the idea. That's, that's pretty rare. And they're known locations, right? So, so they're covered. Probably some of the roads went right to those areas. The Gileadites, they seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. So they're taking control already. When the Ephraimite who, when any of the Ephraimites who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? Now why are they asking that question? 
Aren't we in, kind of in battle right here? You're an Ephraimite. What am I going to do to you? I'm going to kill you. So, you know, you're going to burn my house down. Can't let you do that. So, you're my enemy. You want to cross over right here? No. Are you an Ephraimite? Now, since they're your brethren, can you just look at him and tell if he's an Ephraimite or not? Or can you tell if, if he's your enemy or not? He's your brethren. It, it looks just like you. So, watch this. So when they wanted to cross over, those of Gilead asked if he's an Ephraimite. If they said no, then they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And then the Ephraimite would say Sibboleth. What was wrong with the Ephraimites? Well, they had, you know, probably different dialects. They, well, they live on the other side of the river. So they couldn't pronounce their H's. Kind of an interesting thing, uh, you know, take trips to the South Pacific sometimes, and one of the trips I took was to a place called Ponape. Well, the Japanese call it Ponpe because they can't pronounce the N. They don't do well with consonant sounds. So you know that someone's a native basically by the way they say the name of their country, if they're indigenous or not. Same kind of thing was happening right here. Oh, you're an Ephraimite? No, 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 no. Then say Shibboleth. Uh, Shibboleth. Ah, Ephraimite. Big test, right? Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the river. Now, wait a second. Think about the drama that's building here. Where is it that everybody passes? At Fords. They don't take these Ephraimites who are discovered, take them off someplace secluded and kill them. What do they do with them? They kill them right here. And then what starts happening? The bodies start piling up, don't they? And every time one of these guys who's trying to escape the melee is discovered, you think there's a panic? And what also, what also would have been kind of the unforeseen benefit to the Ephraimites as a result of this tragedy that's taking place. They're probably going to decide to do what? Turn around and go back home. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites because they couldn't say their H's. Tragedy. You say, well, you know, hey, they're in battle. This isn't, this isn't the Ammonites, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Canaanites that we've been battling, those heathen nations that are round about. This is brother going against brother. On the matter not of the conquering of God's territory or the glory of the Lord, but simply as a result of greed. Jephthah judged Israel. Now, now this, this kind of shocks me every time I read it because there was a lot to say about Jephthah, right? All the build-up, all the winning over of the people, getting in the position of authority, going into battle. He only served for six years. And Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. Now, that's not the end of the story. There are a few lesser-known guys, and basically this text only tells us how long they had lived. So there was 
our, our head served. So there was the six years with Jephthah. Then after him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons. He gave away 30 daughters in marriage, brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. And then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. What do you gather from him? Don't really know anything about his conquest, but we know that he maintained the... Starts with a P, ends with an East. Maintained the peace. And what about his family and the results of his leadership? Yeah, remind, kind of reminds you of some others, right? They, they invested in their families. Be certain that at least their, their, their personal stake was taken care of. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Agilon in the country of Zebulon. Uh, 10 years, 10 years of service, what's to say about him? Well, he served 10 years. (laughs) However, however, not having a lot to say also is a tribute to what kind of leadership? He maintained the, starts with a P, he maintained the peace, okay? After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, so 40 plus 30 is 70. They ran around on 70 young donkeys. Um, For them, that was like riding around in fancy Cadillacs, you know. They're they're doing great. They're they're rich. He judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, died and was buried in Pirithon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. Okay, you don't know about much about him except... You know, maybe a, a description, I guess, an extension of his wealth. However, people are becoming wealthy because there's the maintenance of what? There's the maintenance of peace. So if you include Jephthah and his six years, 31 years of peace. Don't have much to say, but at least things are okay. Now, let me ask you, what tends to be the case with us? When things are peaceful, what happens? Peaceful, going well, everybody's happy. What happens? They forget God. And when that happens, what does God do? We're going to go back on our cycle, right? Things are going well, peace, but in peace, people become greedy. They forget about God. We see that multiplied even with the judges. Yeah, there's peace. We kept you safe. But look how we've become wealthy. And we tend with that wealth to forget God. And so we get to the last of the recognized judges in this book. That is a man by the name of Samson. Now, we started off with things looking great. We said that things were going to get worse before they ever got better. Right now, we are at the point of worse. Now, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, Samson was a biblical hero of mine. My mother had one of those Bibles that had a lot of pictures in it, but also had a story in it. And so she's like, what, what would you like? Uh, your, what would you like your Bible story to be tonight before you go to bed? I, I would almost always say Samson because 
he's well nigh unto a superhero in the scriptures, right? I mean, the guy is so strong and powerful and he's, it just has these incredible exploits. And when we stand back from it without really searching the details too much, we say, yeah, Samson's one of the good people and he's going against those nasty and evil Philistines. Boo on the Philistines. Yay on Samson. And he becomes one of our great biblical heroes. But let me tell you something. This is at a time when things were at an incredibly low ebb. And sin abounds. And people are starting to do what's right in their own minds. They don't care. Even people dedicated to the Lord go about their act of dedication in some of the worst and selfish ways imaginable. So again... The children of Israel, you are not surprised, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord did, now watch this, the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Stop and think about that for a moment. We just got off a gig of 31 years in which we have what? Peace. Things are great. Everybody's rich. The leaders. Look at that guy. He's, you know, he's got 40 sons and uh, look at all the donkeys they've got. Man alive. Things are great. But when they turned their backs on the Lord, the Lord punished them. And when he did, he brought it heavy. Have you ever heard of uh, people being oppressed for 40 years before? Well, nod your head this way. Yeah, I think immediately of the wilderness wandering, right? Why did the children of Israel wander around in the wilderness for 40 years? Disobedience, unfaithful. Children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. What's the Lord going to do? Just sit back and let it happen? No, the Lord's going to punish them for 40 years where a lot of people die during the course of 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. You think things at this point are going to get better or worse for it? Well, it gets worse, right? Worse and worse and worse. That's been our trajectory from the very beginning until now. But after 40 years, you know, the Lord is like, okay, it's time for us to come back around. This is an interesting examination of God's patience. How many people you suppose are righteous in this time? I don't need a number. I'm just thinking, generally speaking, very few, right? Very few. But there are a handful of people, and we're going to be introduced to them, who still have a connection to God, who have a fear of God, who are a prayer-minded people. That, that's part of what the book of Ruth is going to, to do for us here in a couple of weeks. It is going to remind us that despite what the society was doing and the evils that they fell into, that God still found the faithful few. So the children of Israel, they are in the hands of the Philistines, boo, for 40 years. Now there was a certain man, from Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, had no children. You heard that story before? When you hear that, you almost know already God's going to do what? God's going to work some great thing. It is like, here are people that... that are suffering in their time, but they're so hopeful. They're still trusting God. If God would only bless us, 
So the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, his wife, and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful. Do not drink wine or similar drink and don't eat anything unclean. For behold... You shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Do you hear anything here yet about how the people were crying out to the Lord, please deliver us, please deliver us? No. Why do you think that is? Because they have forgotten the Lord. But did the Lord just write them off and say, that's fine, forget them. God's going to do a marvelous thing and he's going to use a champion in order to win the people back. And we'll see them, especially toward the end, starting to kind of lean in that direction. Finally, their eyes are going to be opened. Okay, now tell me something about the Nazarite. I know what you're thinking. You're referencing Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 21, right? Yeah, because that text, kind of in the midst of a lot of different things, then starts talking about this Nazarite and a vow. And typically speaking, it was for a short-term vow. These people would come, they would dedicate themselves to the Lord in absolute commitment. Now think about this. We're in a time when people have what level of commitment toward God? Practically zero. And yet in the midst of this lowest time, God is about to make an incredible statement. And He's making it on the, using this probably forgotten commitment of the Nazarite vow. Now, basically speaking, the Nazarite promised for a period of time. This, this was not necessarily a lifetime commitment. In fact, a lifetime commitment was very rare. Usually a person would do it for a season or maybe a year or two in dedicating themselves to the Lord. So they would abstain from grapes, anything related to the grapes, the juice, uh, the wine, even a vineyard. You're going to steer clear of anything related to a grape and anything fermented. Even something, he said, like the grape or the vinegar that came from it. You abstain from it. You're not going to associate with anything that's dead. Why would you not do that? Because that makes you, makes you unclean. And it goes into a great explanation. Even if your father and your mother die, you're not attending the funeral. And the reason that you're not is because of your Nazarite vow, because you have committed yourself to the Lord. An absolute commitment. And then there was also a, a very visual manifestation of this vow. For those who did it short term, probably wouldn't recognize it, except maybe they would just kind of let their hair go. But for those who were lifetime devotees to this Nazarite vow, you can imagine that if you never let a razor touch your hair to cut your hair or your beard, any hair on your head, after a while, you're going to look pretty... It'll look pretty wild. It's going to look pretty rough. Many people think that because of the way the Bible describes John the Baptist, for instance, perhaps he was one who had made a Nazarite vow, just looked like a wild man. That's what this is going to be. Okay? So this, however, is different. 
does Samson make the commitment? Yeah, Samson doesn't make the commitment. Samson isn't even yet what? He's not even born yet. Then who's making the commitment? Okay, his mother. And then in, in connection with, with his, his father as well. This, this is going to be a story that, as much as it is an ancient story, and it's, you know, it's about the judges and blah, blah, blah. This is going to be a pretty much a contemporary story right here. Because it is the story of a couple of parents who loved their child and they aspired great things for their child. Before he was ever born, they were talking about him. They were praying about him. And finally, they have, in effect, this son of promise. I mean, she was barren and now there is a baby and he is dedicated to the Lord. And, you know, the the sky's the limit about what God can do. This is going to be so amazing. Except when this guy grows up, he turns his back on the ways of his mother and his father. It is, it is an incredible contrast of characters. Okay, so, behold, you shall conceive, you're going to bear that child, and then you're going to have a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines have had the grip around their neck for... 40 years, he's going to be a great deliverer. So the woman came and told her husband, she said, oh wow, a a man of God, he came to me, his countenance was like that. The countenance of the angel of God, very awesome. But I didn't ask him where it was from, and and he didn't tell me his name. And he said, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to, to the day of his death. Oh, this is amazing. And so you know what Manoah does? He just takes the word of his wife and says, yippee, that's great. Now, he thinks his wife is what? Eh, cuckoo. <laughs> uh, seriously? So what does Manoah do? He prays to the Lord. And here's what he says. Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. You know, well, my wife's all excited, but um, she says, angel of the Lord. How about, Lord, you send him back here? I'd like to talk with him. God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband, stop right there, what do you think he told her she's supposed to do if that angel ever comes back? You better come get me. <laughs> and, so, and so she does, right? The woman ran in haste, told her husband, and said to him, look, the man who came to me the other day, he's, he's just appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, now, if this isn't the most classic of statements in the scriptures in identifying the presence of the Lord, I don't know what is. I mean, are you shocked? I read through the book of John and it's like every other chapter. We're talking about Jesus and Jesus is the great I am. Hey, are you that 
are you that angel that came over here the other day and talked to my wife? And the angel responds what way? I am. Okay, our time's up. So we're going to stop right here. But next time, Lord willing, we're going to finish the story of Samson. I encourage you to go ahead and read the text. It's going to be chapter 13 through 16. That's only four chapters but it is filled with incredible things. And we're going to see this, this character. One character is a great development. The other two characters are crushed, I think, by what happens. Their hopes kind of dash with Samson, but we'll, we'll see how that thing unfolds. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your blessings today again. Thank you for the time that we could be here to look at these scriptures and just to... Just think about how you related to people and how you used your people as instruments for your purposes. And help us see that very clearly in in this story about Samson. Father, help us to look beyond just the physical things, the the amazing things that are described here, and, and to see what's going on underneath, to understand the motives and the kind of heart that's being described. And help us, Lord, more than anything, not, not just, to be, just to be vessels that are useful to you, but those vessels that are useful that are faithful in the process. Uh, thank you for using us in the ways that you do, and we just we pray, Lord, that what we do brings glory and honor to you in the process of it. In Jesus' name, amen.